Tuesday show in the middle of the spring, March 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. Nonetheless, jam-packed. We're talking spring whispers, intel. We're getting some feedback now from different programs. So I'm going to touch on a few different teams from a few different conferences. I'm also going to talk about some hires that Ryan Day made at Ohio State. And there's some stuff happening there. Even though they played in the national title game, they won the Big Ten, there's still some growth that has to happen. And it's still early on in his tenure, Ryan Day's tenure at Ohio State. He made some moves. I think they're very underrated. Maybe Buckeye fans are talking about it, but not nationally. I think maybe by the end of this upcoming year, we'll be talking about it. I also got to talk about a hire that Kirby Smart made at Georgia, which to be honest with you, I didn't think we were going to be talking about here on Late Kick, but a lot of you have persuaded me into discussing this because I've been arguing with a couple of you about this. We're going to talk about it actually in just a second. All that plus the Mood Tracker series continues tonight. It's Nebraska time. And in all four corners of the country, if you're of any age, Nebraska football has mattered on the national stage at some point during your life. They don't right now. And there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of uneasiness amongst the Nebraska fan base. But also, I've found, especially our older audience, and listen, if you're 18 years old, you should feel the same way if you're a fan of college football. Nebraska, that N, that block capitalized N on the side of that white helmet, oh my goodness, what does it take to get back, to get back to national relevance? Let's discuss all that tonight. Remember, the next Late Kick Show Owners Association meeting is going to happen the moment, I mean the moment, that I hit 2,000 followers on Instagram. Didn't take IG seriously for a long time. That's on me. Now it's on you to at least make me look serious on there. And the more traction we get on there, obviously, the more we're going to do on there. At Late Kick Josh. Steal five of your buddies' phones if you have to. Follow us on there. At Late Kick Josh on Instagram. And hey, if you could, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Basically, the reason I beg you for this is because this is the way we keep all this stuff free. Everyone's making you pay for everything out there now. And here we are, just puttering right along. Director Emeritus Colin and I show up to the studio physically. We got a whole team in Connecticut, just puttering right along. Free dollars and free cents. So humbly, we ask for those sorts of things so that we can do that. Let's dive into the show tonight because we, uh, I didn't lie to you. It's not a marketing slogan. We are jam-packed. Why did Kirby Smart hire Will Muschamp? Some of you may not even know this has happened, but yes, indeed, Will Muschamp is a new senior analyst. I'm looking at his exact title right here. He's a senior analyst now for the University of Georgia. So he's making 300 grand a year, which is great. You and I could live on that, right? But not only is he making 300 grand a year, the reason Muschamp was able to take this job is because there is no mitigation clause in his contract and buyout from South Carolina, which means essentially someone was dumb enough to give Will Muschamp a contract wherein if you fired him, you were going to have to pay him millions of dollars. And if he went and got a new job, you still had to pay him his full buyout. So Will Muschamp, yeah, he's making 300 grand on top of the millions per year that South Carolina has to pay him. So that's a nice gig if you can get it. If you're in the typing pool, see if you can get a buyout where there is no mitigation and you can go type for someone else and you still get full buyout money from wherever the law firm was that you used to work at. But I'm not here to talk about Will Muschamp's finances. What I'm here to talk about is surprisingly, I've gotten a lot of feedback about this. It never occurred to me to talk about this. Analysts, get hired all over the place every year. Nick Saban hires an army of them every year. Ryan Day just hired a couple of them. I'm going to talk about it later in the show. Kirby Smart saw a former head coach, old buddy of his too. And he said, I'll hire you. Come over here, be an analyst for 300 grand. What's your role going to be? I don't know. We won't even specify it. Just come over here. And I, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many people have flooded the DMs saying, this is stupid. Kirby Smart's insane. Why would he hire Will Muschamp? Why not? Why in the world would you not? Mind you, 
He's not hiring him as co-head coach or anything like that. He didn't say, come here, Will. Take my job. I'm going to go chill for a year down in Bainbridge. It's not what he did. He brought him in, and I want to specify this. Colin, let me know if I talk too fast. As a senior analyst. and No head, no coach, senior analyst. What does that mean? Could mean a lot of things. But I want you to follow this logic. If you think this was a dumb move, let's follow this logic. So Will Muschamp was one of the premier defensive minds in college football for years and years and years, coached among some of the best, coached some of the best defenses in America. And he was so good at that, that the University of Florida saw fit to give him a head coaching job. He ultimately failed there. He comes back to the defensive coordinator level, reasserts himself as, again, one of the best defensive minds in college football. So much so that South Carolina said, we're going to give you another crack at being a head coach. He fails again as a head coach. Kirby Smart hires him to be a senior analyst. Some of you tell me this is a terrible idea. I ask, why is it a terrible idea? You tell me, because he's a failure. I ask, in what role has he failed? You say, head coach. I ask, what role has he been hired for at Georgia? You say, I don't know, an analyst or something like that. And then I sit there in silence, and I wait for you to put two and two together. And some of you who have been arguing with me on this, you just look at me and go, see what I mean? I don't see what you mean at all. I want to stack as many former head coaches on my roster as humanly possible. I don't know how many times you have to watch Nick Saban do this every offseason to realize this is a, not only a proper practice, it's a very wise practice. Here's the reality. There are dozens of men in this sport who are head coaches who are ill-equipped for it. So I'll say it like this. There are dozens of guys who are ill-equipped to lead programs who are extremely valuable pieces of a program. Will Muschamp, as it turns out, was sort of ill-equipped to lead South Carolina long-term and get them where they wanted to. But he's a perfect and valuable addition if you put him in the right spot. And so here's what I had. Most of the time when I've had these correspondence with you, you've come back at me and we've hashed it out and either agree to disagree or you've seen it my way. This is not one I'm willing to budge on. I just know I'm right. Sometimes you just know you're right. I'm not budging on this one. It's good. It's a very good thing when you can bring former head coaches in, former high-level defensive coordinators in, and give them an analyst position and have them there for $300,000 a year, which is essentially an office supply budget for the University of Georgia. But you may look around and you may say, you know, some of you get it. But if you don't get this, I've had some of you ask me, well, what are you bringing in Will Muschamp to do? What, what, what value What value is Will Muschamp going to have for Georgia? Just off the top of my head, I look around and I think about having another set of eyes on my defensive backs or my linebackers. I think about the added benefit of having him involved in recruiting evaluations. Quality control is a whole nother aspect that when you've been a head coach, you've had to oversee every facet of. So you get another set of eyes on your quality control. You get more feedback on how to deal with donors, how to deal with your own administration, how to deal with league administrators and the NCAA, which a head coach has to do and an offensive coordinator has never had to worry about. You get the added benefit of having a former head coach there for self-scouting purposes. Not only is he another set of eyeballs that can help install new drills, new looks, new approaches in practice, he can help you coach your coaches. He's had to do it before. It's not just players that have to be coached. Coaches have to be coached. You got another set of eyes that is former head coach in the house. He can help you do that. Staff evaluations in general. I would argue scheme input. Will Muschamp can be very valuable on. And you get to use him during the season for advanced scouting purposes. So you ask me, what benefit can a failed head coach have for Kirby Smart? 
I don't know, I just named like 17 just off the top of my head. I've never ran a program a day in my life. I say that to say this. If it's easy enough for me to figure out, it should be easy enough for anyone to figure out. So that, in a nutshell, is why I think it's a proper hire and a wise hire to bring Will Muschamp in for Kirby Smart or anyone else who could have gotten him. Now, there have been some other additions at another outpost in the Big Ten. At Ohio State, I think Ryan Day has made some very underrated moves in the offseason. You Ohio State fans who are hardcore, you follow it year-round, you probably know about this, but outsiders, maybe not. I think Ryan Day has upgraded his staff, and in time, I think the rest of the country will come to realize this. The best always do this. The best find a way, even if they're at or near the top of the sport, they're always looking to upgrade everything, and that includes coaching staff. I go back to 2018. Uh, Alabama, kind of like Ohio State just did. Alabama makes it all the way to the national title game, and they got run out of the building by Clemson. And so you could have two trains of thought. You could either say, oh, man, we're really close. Let's not change anything. We're really close. Or you could be like Nick Saban and say, this team wasn't good enough. Our dynamics here were not good enough. We got to get better. And they got better. And the coaching roster that Alabama trotted out there in 2020 ran circles around the one they had just two years prior. And that's why, well, one of the reasons why they won a national championship. But it's always a balancing act. And Ryan Day's finding this out. All the other coaches find this out. Here's what you want. Everyone complains when their coaching staff is too old. LSU was a big complaint from them last year. Coaching staff was a little bit too old. They were detached from the reality of the younger generation, and they didn't relate to kids. And so then you want to get younger. Everyone wants a youth movement. But then you know what else everyone wants? Everyone wants wisdom and experience in the coach's room. Well, how do you balance this? How do you get the youth and the exuberance while also having the experience and the wisdom? Well, the answer is a mixture of those elements. It's a balancing act. How do you find that proper balance, though? That's one of the many challenges of being a head coach. So what do we know about Ohio State last year? Buckeyes, circa 2020. They were a really good team. Really good. I thought they belonged in the national championship game. We could have the whole argument about the playoff structure. Luckily, 2020 is a one-off. So any argument made last year hopefully is irrelevant to the future. But here's what we do not know. We don't know what their internal QCRs, quality control reports, said about their own dynamics. And more specifically, we can't know exactly how Ryan Day graded his own staff. It's one thing to grade your team, but one of the things that I think would fascinate you guys, if we could ever be a fly on the wall, is when self-scouting happens, self-evaluation happens, and your coaches are getting graded. Now that, that's a whole new science, and that's a whole new realm of the sport that's behind like five curtains. No one would ever give you a peek behind those five curtains. But Ryan Day, at the end of this past year, he saw Greg Madison retire, co-defensive coordinator, had been at it for nearly half a century. And so he walks out. So Ryan Day has got some moves to make. And he made four of them, really. I want to talk about two of them right now and then the other two in just a second. Matt Barnes is the new secondary coach there. Also, Parker Fleming is the new special teams coordinator. Now, those names you may or may not recognize. I don't know how much you pay attention to the sport. But they went internal for both of the hires, is my point. And this kind of circles back around to what having elite culture allows you to do. If you got really, really good culture, it's that thing that everyone preaches, but really very few elite cultures exist out there, not just in college football, but in business and in life in general. But if you get one, and I believe they have one at Ohio State, you don't have to go outside the four figurative walls of your football complex very often because you got qualified candidates who already speak your language and who already understand everything about the organization. 
that you can just promote from within. The best organizations are able to do that. In fact, you're working in that organization and your motivation, instead of in a normal organization being, I got to get out of here so I can advance. In an elite culture, in an elite organization, your motivation is, I got to get better because I'm about to advance on this ladder right here. Well, Matt Barnes and Parker Fleming just did that. What does that sound like, by the way? The reason I think it's so personal and so relatable for Ryan Day is because that's exactly what happened to him. Not too long ago, you get the breaking news on your phone. Urban Myers, Urban Myers out, Urban Myers retiring. What in the world? Ohio State's open. Wow. What a national coaching search. This is about, wait a second. They just hired Ryan Day. Ryan who? Some of you didn't even know who Ryan Day was. And they went internal. Now, remember, there was no problem at Ohio State. There was no, it's not like the Tennessee job where there's this huge looming NCAA black cloud. The Ohio State job was one of the most elite jobs in the country. They could have gotten virtually anyone they wanted to come to Columbus. They didn't even leave town. They looked right inside the athletic department. They looked right inside the football complex. They said, Ryan, could we talk to you for a second? You're the head coach now. You're the captain now. Take it. And he's taking it. And they're still elite, if not recruiting at an even higher level than they were when Urban Meyer was there. He understands how this works because it happened to him. Now he promoted from within. So that's part one. Both those guys are young, though. Both of those guys probably don't have the decades and decades of seasoning and experience that you would want. So what else does Ryan Day do? Well, he goes out kind of like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. We were just talking about hiring those analysts in the offseason. What do you know about Paul Rhodes? You probably remember him once upon a time as a former head coach. Have you heard his name lately? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Well, he just got brought in at Ohio State as a defensive analyst. What about Todd Fitch? He just got brought in. Former coordinator. You've heard his name probably for a while. Just got brought in as an offensive analyst. You won't see these guys on the field. If you've got a press credential, you may see them in the press box on game days. But there you have the balance being struck. So they got younger. The guys that are going to go out recruiting, the guys that are on the field, they got a little bit younger in the aggregate. However, in terms of the overall makeup, when they're sitting in a staff meeting, Ryan Day, you can tell. He's not really, he doesn't really mince words very much. You can tell already listening to him throughout spring. They don't think they hit a home run. They think they hit a grand slam with this mixture. I think they did too. I think probably what's going to happen if they get quarterback figured out is they're going to win the Big Ten again. They're going to get in the playoff again. And you're probably going to look at them and you're going to say, they look a little bit better. How in the world does a team lose Justin Fields and, and get better or, or at least match the production? Well, what you'll have is you'll have a better overall coaching mixture. And you never know what that does over the course of a season because there's this other word in this sport, development. We talk about it a lot here where we don't just assume players are who they are when they come out of high school. We don't just assume the star ranking is going to forever define them. And three stars are never capable of playing to a five-star level, and a five-star is never capable of going bust. Development matters. The best staffs develop. James Franklin's got a big chore right now trying to develop the linebacker and safety positions in Happy Valley. Well, that's similarly what Ohio State has to do. They're trying to retool their entire secondary right now. They were terrible. They were 122nd nationally in FBS pass defense last year. That's horrid. It's horrific. They got to retool that. You got to develop the guys you have on campus. It's not a transfer portal fix. You got to have coaches who can go recruit, and you got to have coaches who can develop the guys you have on campus. I think Ryan Day's got a good mixture right now. Let's talk about some spring football. We've talked about previews, but we haven't really, for good reason, we haven't spoken about what's happening so far. Well, now spring practice is underway in a lot of places. So let's just give you a few whispers, little bits of intel that we're getting. 
Obviously, we'll get more as more camps get underway. I want to start at LSU because, man, we got to keep a close eye on this quarterback situation. LSU, you know, the overarching theme this year for them is obviously going to be, which was the outlier, 2019 or 2020? Well, then we get down to ground level, and a lot of what's going to determine that answer is what happens at quarterback. And you saw late in the year, probably when Logic told you they should have been their most decimated, they rose to play their best football. And that was when Max Johnson took over at quarterback. Miles Brennan was out early to mid portion of the year. He never came back. And so Max Johnson came in. For instance, he led that big upset win in Gainesville against Florida. And so now Miles Brennan is healthy. And I think a lot of folks maybe who check out during the spring and they come back during what I call preview magazine season, they're going to assume it's Miles Brennan's job. There are a lot of people around LSU who assume that. I don't assume that. I know what depth charts look like. I know how easy it becomes to kind of attach yourself to whatever the group think of the day is, and you start writing the depth chart. But depth charts are meaningless when reps start to happen. When live bullets start to fly, that's when this stuff gets settled. And I want you to remember, you got new crews coming in there. You got new offense, new defense. So it's not holdover time. It's not Miles Brennan just doing more of what he was doing before he was injured. You got some new elements there that you have to learn. And so how efficiently... Will that happen? It's not the only place that's occurring. I'm about to talk about Texas, too. But this whole quarterback situation at LSU, uh, to say that's settled, to even indicate or suggest that's settled is ludicrous. You may end up guessing right. I could say it's Miles Brennan's job, and he goes on to win it, and I, I say I was right. No, I guessed right. No one's right here. There is no skillful answer on this. There is no 80-20 either way. 60-40, 65-35, maybe, but I think it's wide open. I think Max Johnson could easily win this job. How about Clemson? That defensive line. Last year, you talked to people close to the Tiger program, and they told you two things. The first was, learn how to pronounce Clemson. I said, I'm a lost cause. The second thing they said was, all right, fool. Well, at least you need to know this. Our defensive line is going to be good next year. This year, they're young. You can see them flash. But next year, they're going to be really good. Well, next year is here. And Clemson's defensive line probably going to be really good. You remember names like Brian Brzee last year? He was, is he even a legal adult yet? Like he just turned 18 five minutes ago. He's already wrecking interior offensive lines. But Tyler Davis, Trey Williams, these are names you continue to hear a lot about in camp. K.J. Hill, when we talk about the defensive end and pass rush and coming off the edge and stuff like that, K.J. Hill's out for the spring. And that's given a lot of guys extra opportunity out there. Miles Murphy's another one of those names that was young a year ago. And now there is no mid-tier. You're either young or you're a veteran now in college football. So he's there. Xavier Thomas, remember that name? These are just all former five-star names everyone remembers from signing days past. That is a potential game-changing crew. And that's independent of anything happening with DJ Uyangalale. That's independent of anything happening with the wide receiver position. Let me pause. I think if I could pronounce the quarterback without fail, I should get a pass on putting the Z in Clemson. That's, that's my opinion. I know you guys differ, but... Uyangalale versus Clemson? Like, which one would you rather be able to master? Because I watched some national broadcast types. Colin, remember this. We did a segment on this. I watched some national broadcast types thoroughly make fools in themselves last year trying to pronounce DJ Uyangalale's name. So I got that one figured out. The Z's not going anywhere, though. How about at Texas? Steve Sarkeesian walks in the door. And this is a little while, a couple of weeks after, what bowl game did they play in? Was it the Alamo Bowl? I don't know. Whoever they they played Colorado. And Casey Thompson looked great. And so we were really excited and are still really excited 
about the potential with Casey Thompson in this Longhorn offense. And here is the deal. That's not settled either. And here's the deal part B. There are some people around the Texas program. Maybe it's just because they're looking for something to talk about in the spring. But I've had a couple of folks close to Texas who have told me they're not predicting a winner. But they said, Hudson Card, if you were asking in terms of pure skill set, which of these quarterbacks is more tailor-made for Sark's offense, it would be Hudson Card. It wouldn't be Casey Thompson. Now, overall, who ends up being the better quarterback could still be Casey Thompson. I, If I were a betting man, if I were out there degenerately placing wagers on spring position battles at Texas, I would lay my money on Casey Thompson. However, think about what I just said there. It's the same principle that's in play at LSU. You can fill out all the depth charts. You can write all the preseason articles. You can read all the magazines you want to. Writing something over and over again doesn't mean anything. Even this coaching staff doesn't know. Therefore, by default, we can't know. If you were to ask Steve Sarkeesian, even if you had truth serum in him and there were no cameras, no microphones on, and I were to ask him, who's going to be your starting quarterback this fall? He'd go, I don't know. I mean, he may have a guess, but he doesn't know. He's the one who's going to make the decision. If Hudson Card looks at this situation and he ends up being tailor-made, as some people suggest he is, to fit skill set-wise into this offense, you never know what could happen. There have been several instances just in the last few years where preview season kind of led to a bunch of groupthink around one guy taking control. Remember Blake Barnett, uh, who was going to start for Bama, and he started a grand total of like one quarter, and then Jalen Hurts took over? No one was talking about that until it happened. So not many people may be talking about this right now, but it could happen. The old, it's now an every show thing, JP, Angels in the Outfield. It could happen. Flap those arms. It could happen. Keep a close eye on that. They're just now opening spring ball in Austin, so keep a close eye on that. And the last one, I'm going to stick with the quarterback position here. The last one, you know I've spoken about this a couple of times now. Mackenzie Milton watch continues in Tallahassee. As I said in our spring preview for the ACC, one of the biggest focal points for me is going to be on FSU's spring camp, year two for Mike Norvell, and Mackenzie Milton, the transfer quarterback who had the devastating leg injury at UCF two years ago. He's in, and they had talked a lot leading up to spring ball opening in Tallahassee about how Mackenzie Milton had been fully cleared for everything football related. And I said, there's a difference between being cleared and being full speed. Now, if he's full speed and not just cleared, then that could be a game changer because I think that could be the starting quarterback there. I think I would lean heavily towards him being the starting quarterback if he is indeed cleared. So I'm reading on Knowles 24-7 the other day. They've had a couple of spring practices now. This is a quote from Brendan Sonome over on the FSU 24-7 site. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, then I'm going to read a direct quote. He said, um, Mackenzie Milton, you can see the comfort setting in, took a couple of practices to get a little bit more acclimated to the verbiage and the system and whatnot, but he's starting to grasp the system. Then I want you to listen to this quote. Very nice movement as a runner throws well on the run. Those two sentences probably matter about as much to me as anything that I've read anywhere from any spring practice report so far. It is a huge tidbit. I know there's still a long way to go, but if his first few repetitions in sort of quasi-live action, at least as live as you can get in spring, has people coming away saying, you know, he, he moves pretty good. He throws the ball pretty good on the run. Well, that means they were serious when they said he's fully cleared for spring ball. And if he looks impressive by the standards of other quarterbacks you're measuring him to, well, it means there's probably not limitation there. And if there's not limitation for Mackenzie Milton, that's going to be the starting quarterback at Florida State. Big if, big ifs. I know right now it is. It's March 23rd, 
we got a long way to go, but that's how I would handicap that race. If indeed he continues on that trajectory. And those are the themes that we continue to hear come out of FSU. We're going to wrap the show up with a somber tone, a hopeful tone, but a somber tone. The mood tracker series continues. I'm striking a serious posture because this is serious business. We've got to talk about Nebraska. I was over on Husker 24-7. I had to go do some of my market research. I came on the board and I said, I need help. Because let me just put it all out there. A lot of Nebraska fans have been in our inbox and they've been asking us to do a mood tracker segment for Nebraska. And I kind of kicked it down the road a little bit. We, to be honest with you, we had some bigger brands to do. But I wanted to get to Nebraska. I want to get to Colorado, Michigan State. I got a lot of them I want to get to. So it's Nebraska time now. But here's what led me over to the board over on Huskers 24-7. Anytime someone asks me to do a mood tracker, I always respond, okay, what's your mood towards the program? So I've been asking the Nebraska fans on Twitter and the email inbox on Instagram. When they ask me, I say, all right, it's on the to-do list. What's your mood? I got moods all over the place. I got, for, for every different direction a hand can point on a clock, I got a different feedback mood for Nebraska. So I go over to the board and I say one word or one phrase Give me your mood. It was all over the place. I know this is going to shock you. There was very little positive feedback. There was not a whole lot of, you know, eternal optimism, nothing but sunshine, no clouds, nothing going to dull me. It wasn't wasn't like that. Here's what it was, though. It was a lot of a kind of a mixture of eh, cautious optimism at best, I think was the most cheery tone. But more so, it was there were a lot of people who were fed up. There are a lot of people who are very frustrated. There are a lot of people who are searching. And here's kind of what I circle back around to. When you're on top, you never want to hear anyone tell you, well, you know, college football is cyclical. You don't want to hear that because you're on top. So you want it to last forever. There was a period of time where Nebraska was on top of this sport. Bama's there right now. No one in Tuscaloosa, Alabama is interested in you telling them this is a cyclical sport, guys. But it is, at least when you have the capability of winning at the highest level. It's going to be cyclical. However, think about the shoe being on the other foot. At Nebraska right now, they are very much down. They are nowhere near, and they can't even see the top of that mountain, much less think about being there. Well, they want more than anything in the world for that that book to be true. They're hoping and praying college football is cyclical. They keep on looking around every corner, wanting to know when the worm's going to turn. And it's not turning right now. Now, many of you believe that the fate of Nebraska really started snowballing downhill when Bill Callahan got brought in. <laughs> you know, you asked Bill Callahan, Bill, what do you think about Nebraska's tradition and identity? And he said, never heard of her. We're going to do it my way. A lot of people believe that's when it kind of took a turn. I'm not here to rehash history. What I am here to say is it's never recovered. The Mike Riley experiment, now Scott Frost. Scott Frost is an interesting concept, though. Because when Scott Frost got hired, it checked all the boxes. When Scott Frost got hired, that made the most sense on paper. That's what you'd call a grand slam hire times 10 for Nebraska. No one looked at that with any skepticism. Everyone looked at it as, look at what that guy's doing at Central Florida. And he's one of ours, so he wants to be here or else he wouldn't be here. And so you look around, I'll grant you, kind of like with Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, willing to give him a grace period, willing to allow him to get his culture ingrained and, and his systems and whatnot. Well, now it's year three. And so you look around. And you say, where are the results? Is this the year? Is this the year we're supposed to expect results? I keep setting my watch. Where's, where's the cycle? Where's the up part of the cycle for us? Because we've just been kind of at the bottom. We, we want to cycle up now. Well, here's the dangerous part. 
because there was another word that kept popping up on the Husker 24-7 board. It's the A word, but it has nothing to do with a donkey. It's the most dangerous word in sports. We whisper it around here. We don't even like to say it out loud. It's apathy. It's never been a problem at Nebraska. Nebraska, even when the record indicates otherwise, they pack that stadium. It's, it's a phenomenal atmosphere. They are world-renowned for the environment they create, for the culture they create there. No one speaks ill of the Nebraska culture, of the Nebraska experience. And you look at that place, and granted, I'm looking from afar. I'm in Nashville. I grew up in Georgia. I'm looking at Nebraska. I've never been to a game there. Want to change that, but I've never been to a game there. But I look there and I say, apathy would never set in there. Apathy meaning basically you just don't carry it away. You're just fine walking away. Apathy, here's what apathy's like. Apathy is you wake up at 9 a.m. on a Saturday in the fall and you go get some yard work done. And then you go take a nap and you wake up at like 2.45 and you say, do we play today? Oh, man, we had the noon game. Oh, it's, it's already at halftime. You didn't even know the game was on. That's apathy. Apathy is just not, it's just not setting your fall calendar in life to the uh, day-to-day goings-on in the football department or, or basketball or whatever the case may be. Apathy is not set in there yet. But I had a lot of you tell me, I'm close. Because the way you're looking at it, and I don't blame you, is if this sport is cyclical, if there's still a shot for us to matter on the national stage, Scott Frost will be the guy. And if Scott Frost doesn't get it done, maybe this sport isn't cyclical. Maybe it's like My Hometown, that song by Bruce Springsteen, when it says Foreman says these jobs are going, boys, and they ain't coming back. Maybe the sport has just gone and it's not coming back. Maybe the dynamics changed. Now, I would look at that because I know that's a lot of doom and gloom. I would look at that and say, if Iowa State can do it, trust me, Nebraska can do it. But I understand the sentiment of you looking and saying, if Scott Frost can't do it, who in the world are we going to get up here? Because Matt Campbell's don't grow on trees. That's a one in a generation, one in a million type deal. If Scott Frost can't do it, maybe it's time to throw my hands up. Maybe it's time to go, I don't know, just worry about the Chiefs or something like that. Just, just pull, for, pull for the Broncos, whoever in the world you guys are pulling for up there. I hope it never comes to that. But I do understand the sentiment. And so that's why those two programs, I just linked them up. I just said Georgia Tech and Nebraska. Watch those. Those, those are a couple of third-year head coaches right now that have not so far delivered a return on the immense emotional and financial investments that the university and the culture there around has invested into them, but hopefully it does come this year. And the thing about it is you don't need 10 or 11 wins. You just want to see a competitive product on the field to where at least now you start looking around the corner and nothing's come around the corner yet, but there's this bright light to where, you know, it's like a train way, way down the tracks. It's about to come around the bend and you can see the light. If we could just see a light after this year with Nebraska, we'll take that right now. It's just darkness and darkness, and darkness, as far as the eye can see. And so I get it. I understand why the mood is that way. We, at least here, are pulling for you guys, though. That's our show. Remember to go follow us on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. When we get to 2K, we are putting the ball in motion to have our next Late Kick Show Owners Association meeting. And remember to like the video before you leave here, and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And again, we do all that to keep the show free of charge. For Director Emeritus Colin, for our entire crew, Jesse, along with the rest of you in Connecticut, thank you so much for making this show possible. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of the week, and God bless.